Blog Talk Radio. This is Laurie LeBay, your host, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. We're having a little difficulty here this morning getting Norm McNamara um, hooked in. So, Norm, I'm going to have you. I know you're online. I can see you there. Go ahead and Skype me, and we're going to do what we did last uh, last week because for whatever reason, uh, it's not working today. Oh, wait a second. I take it back. Norm's is with us. So, Norm's, are you there? Yeah. Hi. I can hear Okay, wonderful. It did work after all. Well, let me finish the introduction here, and then we will roll back <laughs> into the program. <laughs> Thank you so much for your patience on all of this. Um, so again, you're here with uh, with Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. We've got a great program. I'm so very excited to be talking with you today, and my guest is Norms McNamara from the UK. Um, Norms is a very good friend of mine, though I have never met him, but I can't wait until the day that I do. Um, Norms and I met on social media, on Rick Phelps' Memory People's uh, group on Facebook, which was very, very exciting. And um, we've done uh, a venture together across the pond, as they say, and we'll get into that a little bit more later on in the show. But I want to just refresh everyone's um, memories of what we're about here on Alzheimer's Speaks um, radio show. And our goal is to give voice to those afflicted with memory loss and empower them to live purpose-filled lives. We're here to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with Alzheimer's. Rick Phelps, our channel expert with Living with Alzheimer's. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to make it today, but um, if he's able to, we will definitely pull him in on the line because Rick has so much to offer as well. And then our musical advocate, um, JP, of course, won't be with us, but he'll be here in spirit as we utilize his music for our intro and exit of the show. Um, On our homepage, you'll find links to contact us, so feel free if you have a question to go ahead and um, write in the chat box. Otherwise, you can always call the number and push one, and you will get in the queue so I'll know that you have a question. So with no further ado here, I want to introduce Norms um, to, to our audience here. Um, Norms is actually living with Alzheimer's disease, and he has um, been diagnosed. I'll let him kind of get into length of time and, and how that has affected his life in general, because um, those are all the fun things that we want to talk about. And he is also a poet, and he has written two books, Me and My Alzheimer's and More Than Words, Poems Written and Spoke by an Alzheimer's Sufferer. He is raising awareness around the world and has made amazing connections and is a very powerful spirit in terms of memory loss. And so, um, again, Norms, I, I thank you so much for being with us. And um, with no further ado, why don't we get rolling with this interview? You ready? Yeah, that's fine by me. Thank you, Laura. Okay, sounds great. Um, why don't you let us know a little bit about your background? Who is Norms? 
What was it, what's your life been like growing up, and, and where are you today? Um, well, before I was diagnosed, um, I used to be a manager of a live DIY store called um, Focus, which is, I suppose you call it, a hardware store. And um, been married for many, many years, got three children, um, 11 grandchildren, and um, everything was ticking along until one day that my, my wife found out that she's been a carer for 30 years. So um, she realized before I did that my memory uh, wasn't as it used to be and there was something seriously wrong. So after having a chat with my brother, uh, my younger brother, <clears throat> he said he had a few memory problems and a lot of the alarm bells started to ring. So I went along and had a check and um, it was confirmed a month later that I, I had a Alzheimer's disease at the age of 50 and I'm now nearly 54. I'm 54 in September. So I have had this disease now for nearly four years. For four years. Okay. Yeah. And can you tell us, um, you know, how, when you first got diagnosed, or even before you went into the doctor, what were some of the signs that you were seeing, some of the, the problems that you were having that made you think, you know what, i got to go get checked? Yeah, sure. Um, my speech was going, uh, I was slurring my speech. I certainly couldn't have spoken like this. Um, and what really did it for us was we'd been up to um, up Lancashire, which is up the north of England, to visit my mum. And apparently, this is only what Elaine's told me since, uh, obviously Elaine's my wife, um, that uh, three weeks later I turned around and said, when are we going to see my mum? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, we haven't seen her for months. Um, I'd only been home three, I'd only seen her three weeks prior to that. Uh, from then on, things got bad to worse. Um, I started throwing everything away, knives, forks, things like that. Um, I'd forgotten the town I came from, um, just many, many things. And unfortunately, I'd set the kitchen, I'd set the kitchen on fire three times. Um, oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, apparently, well, I'd like to say to everybody, that's not because I'm a bad cook and it's not a man thing. Um, I'm just one of these strange men that enjoys cooking. Um, but I had literally just forgotten it was on. And apparently the kitchen was quite, um, quite on fire with around me, and I was sat in the front room oblivious. But it wasn't until okay. so I never came down. I never came down wow. and knocked the door. So it was pretty serious at the beginning, Lauren. That had to be pretty pretty darn scary stuff to be going through. Uh, how how did you feel with all that? I mean, what were your what were your thoughts? To be honest with you, Lauren, at first I was in denial. At first, I thought I was losing my mind, and I was in the right, and everybody else was wrong. I just couldn't understand how I was wrong all the time. And um, and I suppose I must have sat down at some point and thought, well, I, I've lost my father to dementia. I've lost my grandmother to dementia. Maybe there is something in this. And Elaine sat me down one night and, and practically begged me, said, please, please, what harm can it do? Go and have a check-up. And... Uh, that's what that was. I think that was the turning point at the time. Mhm. Oh goodness. I, I just I I can't imagine how scary that 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 would be. Did you um when you went to the doctor? Did you go to your normal everyday doctor, or did you decide to see a specialist right away? Or uh, no, we um we went to a normal doctor. I am I am very lucky because I have a wonderful G, we call him GP general practitioner. Mm -hmm. And I have an absolutely wonderful GP, 
Um, he did a couple of tests, uh, which is what we call the minimenkel test. Um, your average is 30 or something on a norm, you know, person without Alzheimer's. Uh, and uh -huh. I scored, I scored something like 22. So there was obviously uh -huh. something wrong. So then I was referred then to the um, specialist. Mm -hmm. and the, sorry, Lauren. That's okay. And the interesting thing was, I um, I actually had an MRI scan which found nothing. Uh -huh. And um, but there was obviously something seriously wrong. So they sent me what they call a perfusion scan, where they inject uh, like a nuclear dye into your brain, into your body, and it goes uh -huh. to your brain. They took some photographs. Mm -hmm. And it was confirmed that I had Alzheimer's type disease on the left side, the right side, and also the beginnings of it on the top of my brain. Okay, okay. Now, when you got that news, what was what were you at the doctor yourself, or were you with somebody else? Did did your wife come with you, Elaine, or? Well, funnily enough, um, I had this scan, and they didn't tell me straight away. And I got a phone call three days later, and the actual specialist said. They would like to come and see me. But at the time, Elaine was out, and I wanted Elaine to be there. So I said, no, it'll have to wait till Monday. Because in my wisdom, <laughs> I'm looking back now, it was, it was a bit silly, but in my wisdom, I thought, well, it's only been three days since the scan. It must be totally clear. I never thought for one minute they, they were going to turn around and say, we want to go in touch with you because it's something serious. So, uh -huh. I, so I probably spent um, the longest weekend of my life um, that weekend, and when I went down on Monday morning to the office, um, I went and seen this doctor, he's also a wonderful doctor, consultant, and uh, Elaine was with me when I got the news. Uh-huh. And, and uh, what, what was her reaction? Elaine, I think because she's because she'd been in care for 30 years, I think she'd seen the signs, to be honest, and I think she'd more or less prepared herself for the bad news. Whereas I hadn't, I was totally convinced that the results were that back, were back that quick, that there was totally nothing wrong. And uh, when he actually said, you've actually, you know, you've got Alzheimer's, it um, took quite a while to sink in. And it wasn't uh -huh. until, I, it wasn't until I, I, I looked at Elaine and, and she looked at me and I, I could tell by the look in her eyes it was something very serious. And um, everything just went really quiet for a while. And she held my hand and she held it tighter. And um, I swallowed very hard, uh, trying not to get too upset. And um, the rest really wasn't spoken about until we came out. Went to, we got in the car and we had a drive to the countryside. And then we pulled over and Elaine said, do you understand what's just been said to you? And I said, I think so, yes. I said, I... I <laughs> I was I was in total shock, but um, I can I can remember just saying, but I'm only fifty, but I'm only fifty, um, this is not possible. But with the guidance and um, and love that I've had of Elaine and my family, eventually I, I got my head around it. Mhm. Mm wow. I just I, I I thank you so much for sharing you know this uh, your story with us and everything that you're going to be sharing with today because this is such personal stuff. And um, most of us just can't even fathom getting news like that. You know, with the doctor, I mean, I've heard several people say, well, the doctor just told us, and then that was kind of it. It was kind of matter of fact. How did your doctor respond? I mean, how, was how, there support and things afterwards? Or uh, well, this is this is where this is where this is what put me on the trail of raising awareness. 
Um, I always remember the doctor. First of all, he said to me, "Do you want to know?" And I, I just, um, I'm a kind of a black and white person, you know. I like to know things up front. And um, and I said, "Well, I don't understand what I'm doing sat here if you're not going to tell me." And he said, "Well, some people don't like to know." And I, I to this day, I still can't understand that. So, um, but when he told me, I must admit, <laughs> I must admit, we came away and thought the day after we looked at each other, me and Elaine, and thought, "Well, what do we do now?" Um, we wasn't given any any number. We wasn't given any information. We wasn't given any leaflets. And it wasn't until um, I started to get worse that uh, Elaine took me back to the consultants and asked, "Was there any type of medication that can be given?" And I I was so I was so shocked to find out that there was no there's no follow up in a lot of cases. Like you mentioned yourself, Laura, a lot of doctors are matter of fact about it. And they say, oh, it's your age, especially with the elderly people. And uh, they leave it at that. They don't actually realise that it is actually a, a disease of the brain. So yeah. I, what, I'm kind of one of these people that um, I decided to, well, if there's nothing out there for people who's got this diagnosis, then there should be. And that's what put me, uh -huh. on, the, that's what put me on the campaign trail, as they say. So we have a comment from somebody, from Jazzy. She's concerned about herself because she's starting to forget um, more things, you know, little things like where she put something. And, and apparently her aunt, um, she said, left her with Alzheimer's disease. What, what would you recommend to Jazzy if she's got some concerns about her memory? What would you, what would you say to Jazzy? She's listening now. Hi, Jazzy. Um, my advice would be to go and get tested straight away. The, the key to this, um, I, I always have two key, two words to it. One's awareness and one's acceptance. And I think once you're aware of what is happening and once you know the reason for your forgetfulness, then you learn to accept it quicker. So go to your doctors, go to your GPs, ask for a test, demand a test if necessary, and then once you've found out, you know what you're dealing with then. That would be my advice, Jazza. Yeah, and I would I would tend to agree with that as well. She just sent a big smiley face with a wave at you in the chat room, so she's waiting <laughs> you for that. Thank you. Um, I, I I believe in early detection as well because you 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 can drive yourself nuts second guessing yeah. things, and there's all different types of dementia, you know, that exist, and some can be treated and some can't be treated, and you know, but there's but there's knowledge in awareness and there's support in awareness. And I think that's one of the things that people are finding more and more. And early detection is now on the doctor's radar and they're trying to figure out exactly how they're going to implement all of this testing and stuff with people. But it's going to be kind of a standardized uh, thing is what they're looking at, which will be wonderful because then we will be able to have more support for those in need. Um, like I've mentioned before on the show, my mom has had memory problems for 30 years. She started at my age, around 52. She's now 83 years old and in her end stages. And I think, I think honestly, that's going to be more common than not with mm -hmm. early detection. And mom has lived a great life. And even the last, you know, 10 years of her life now have been in a nursing home, but she chose to move in there because my dad ended up having to, to move in. But she yeah. she has great friends, and the staff there love her to death. 
and it's her home it's her family it's um it it's been wonderful and again you know we never intended for that to happen you know she was always going to live with us but it was her choice to make that move mm. because she wanted to stay with my dad and mm. so um but she lived independently you know with dad for many many years and was still able to function and do things and still have purpose in her life and so i think people have to stop um being motivated by fear and continue to live their lives because it could be Alzheimer's disease or it could be cancer or you could stub your toe. It doesn't make any difference. We've got obstacles in our life all the time, but you can't deal with it if you don't know about it. And you can't get the right resources if you don't, you know, if you don't ask um, for that information. So I applaud you for telling the doctor, well, no, of course I want to know, yeah. you know, what, What's what? Because it not only, I'm sure, helped you, but it's got to help, I would think, your family and your friends as well in terms of what is this at hand and, and what can we do together, um, you know, to proceed forward. So I think that's that's wonderful. Now, you are doing some amazing, amazing things, Norms. And why don't you tell us about... Um, you know, getting diagnosed, and now you are just this incredible advocate for Alzheimer's disease. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Did that kind of start with your writing, or how how did all this come to be? Because you are you're like a little rock star out there now. Everybody knows Norm. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I was when I was first diagnosed, I was given um, I don't know what the American equivalent is, but I was given Exelon. Um, which is a drug for uh, obviously for Alzheimer's, and it didn't work. And um, so then they changed my medication onto Ibixa, and within a month I got my life back. Um, within a month of taking the Ibixa, which I think is called Memantine, I'm not sure in America, um, I got my life back. I got my speech back. I got my mobility back. And from that day on, I felt like I've been given a second chance. I honestly felt as though God must have been looking down and said, we're going to give this guy another go. I got that chance back, and I wasn't going to waste it. So that was the moment. Wow. That was the moment. So I again, decided. without without being diagnosed, you never would have got that that um, medication, and things wouldn't have changed. So exactly. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because at the moment, I know we, we spoke about this before, Laurie, but at the moment, I, I I always tell everybody, I am living with Alzheimer's. I am not dying of Alzheimer's. I'm living with Alzheimer's. Do you know, and because I was diagnosed early, it's opened so many doors because now I've got the medication that's given me the life back. We know it's not a cure. We know this is only a short-term thing until we find the cure. But my, I'm 100% that they will find the cure in my lifetime. So, And um, while, while I've got this, this chance now, I intend to grab hold of it with every ounce of my being and take it forward and try to make sure that everybody knows that an early diagnosis opens that many doors we, we've talked about end-of-life plans. We've talked about where we're going to end up. We actually, I live in supported living now. So I know that when I get worse, Elaine's got all the 24-hour support around us. She'll not be on her own. Um, we've got um, Curvis coming in two days a week. So Elaine can have a break. All this was down to going asking for a diagnosis. And that's why I think it's so important, like you, Laurie, that we do. Wow, that's great. I know my mom, you know, was on medication, too. She was on Aerocept, and that 
really helped level her off and I, I think really helped her maintain uh, for a much longer period of time. Um, and again, you'll never know because you don't have the comparison of, you know, of a clone of, of her without the medication. But we as family members sure saw a difference. And I think she, you know, we talked about it and she felt a difference and she felt the medication was really helping her helping her as well. So that that is great. Now, have you always been a writer, Norm? Um, well, yes and no. Um, my English teacher would say no. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, what it, how it was, when the children were growing up, I liked to write, believe it or not, I liked to write stories for the children to keep them off the computer. <laughs> but the ironic thing is, no, I probably spend more time on the computer than they do. Um, but, <laughs> Yeah, I wrote I wrote stories for the children, and um, and as they got older, I I changed the stories to be older. And then I found that once I've been given this second chance, as I call it, and it is a second chance of life, and I've taken it. And um, I decided that I'd write all my feelings down, and um, you know, and trying to express them that way. It, it, it was all meant as a blog. It wasn't really meant as a book. It was never intended as a book. And then obviously people picked up on it, um, because I used to use I did the poetry as well. People picked up on the book and the and the book of poetry and oh, well on the blog and they said, Well, why don't you put it into a book? I didn't know how because I didn't have that mental capability. So a very good friend of mine, um, Carl Bayer, who lives in Indonesia, he, he actually has a diagnosis as well. Um, he was kind enough to put it into a book for me, send it me back and then I uploaded it. And um, I've had some wonderful, wonderful feedback and made some wonderful friends from it. And I've been told because it comes straight from a, a person with dementia and um, and because it doesn't come from people who think they know what it is, but somebody who actually knows what it's like. Um, I've had some really great reviews and the best review I had was of Stan Goldberg. Uh-huh, um, wow. He's, yeah, he's an American writer. And um, there is a review on the internet about the book and... Uh, he, he wrote me a fantastic review, which I'm so, so grateful. So that's how it started. It started as a blog, but not really as a book. Um, but when it was, people kept asking, why don't you put it into a book? Um, so I did. And all the proceeds go to the Alzheimer's Society. So everybody wins, really. Well, your your poetry is just beautiful. And I, I highly recommend that people... You know, buy the book, or you've got you posted on your website and in several places on social media as well. I mean, you just share in such a brilliant fashion and connect to so many that um, I mean, you you just you touch so many hearts because you're so honest in in your descriptions. And have you found that it's healing for you at all, Norms, to write? Is that? Um... Yeah, it says it's very healing because I. I find, I mean, me and Elaine, my wife, we, we can talk. We, we talk about anything and everything. Um, we've never had a problem that way. Um, but I find it helps if I also put it down as well. And as I write, I can feel those, some of my innermost feelings coming out. But I, I don't keep them secret. I share with them because I know that other people are probably feeling exactly the same way. Um, but they, yeah. might not, they might not want to share, which is, the, you know, which is, which is great. You know, everybody's different. That's what's beautiful about this world. Um, but I'm one that likes to share because I want to share and I want to show that. And I think you'll find that in most of my writings and most of my poems, there's always hope at the end. 
because I'm a great believer of where there's hope, there's life. There'll always be life where there's hope. Exactly, exactly. I know. I know. For me, writing was just um, so healing, and um, you know, I have not finished my book, um, but I've got lots of stories on my blog, Alzheimer Speaks, and. I've been told to to make it a book, and I just haven't felt like the time is quite right yet for me. But it was it was very healing, and I was shocked at the reception of others. Were you surprised at other people's response to your writing? I, I know for me, it was just really humbling, and I was just I was I was amazed um, how touched others were, you know, by my writing. Yeah, and, um, of course, Laurie. I. I'm humbled every day when I open my eyes and I'm humbled every time I switch the computer on because I always like to say that I'm, I'm just one bloke on a computer. It's a little tiny room, it's a little tiny computer. And um, I write what I feel and it does come from the heart. And I am so touched that it helps people. And it, it, it's, it's good to know that, I, you know that it does help people. And, and I, just, I just feel as though I've been given this mission now in life to try and help people through this for as long as I can, and um, for obviously while I can. Mm-hmm. Now, what are the names of the two books again, Norm? Um, the first book is called Me and My Alzheimer's. Um, okay. That, that's from when I was first diagnosed up to um, maybe 12 months ago, and it has a couple of poems in there. And um, the second book is called More Than Words, Poems by an Alzheimer's Sufferer. And that's just purely poems from the heart of how I deal with my Alzheimer's through poetry. Okay. And people can get that on Amazon.com? Amazon.com. Or your website? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Amazon.com Amazon. Amazon. is a lot easier. Wonderful. Now, Norm, getting back to your family, now, do you have children? I have three, yes. Three, all grown up and- and, and what was their response to your diagnosis? Did you share it with them? I know some people don't right away. I found, I found the best, yeah, I found the best thing that um, that I did was to share it. What we did, we actually sat all the children down. And I, I've always said that I've never, ever had a problem um, telling my family that I love them. Um, but I did struggle a little bit to tell them that I had a diagnosis of Alzheimer's because there's all sorts of stigma that goes with it. Um, we sat there, we talked, we cried, we cried some more, and then at the end of it, um, Elaine, being Elaine, she's the kingpin of the family, turned around and said, well, now we all know what we're going to do about it. And I found that telling, you know, which was going on from there, and I found that by telling people and telling my, well, for telling my family, um, there's no strange links now if I forget something or if I forget one of their names or if they say, well, don't you remember me coming around yesterday? And I said, I have no idea. But we do giggle about it now because they know. They're aware of it and they know why I'm like I am. If I hadn't told them, what would they have thought? They'd have yep. been mortified. Yeah. Now, do you have grandchildren? I have 11. Oh, you have eleven, okay. <laughs> so, and and do the grandchildren know? Have have they been uh, told? They, yeah, they all. They, yeah, uh, I have. The ages of the grandchildren go from six weeks to nineteen. Um, so the ones from twelve year old upwards do know about it. Um, obviously, the younger ones don't, but there will come a time when I will set them down. Hopefully, and I'll still be able to tell them. Mhm. Okay. 
Well, it's going to be you are um, building a legacy for yourself out there with all the work that you are doing. I mean, you are just going to be such a a gift to them in terms of how you're dealing with this and how you're living your life. Um, it, it's just absolutely brilliant and exciting. Um, and so I just uh, I just am totally fascinated um, by all that you are all you are doing and how you're handling it so honestly and really really trying to break down the stigma of this disease, um, which so needs to be done. So needs to be done. So why don't we talk a little bit about the um, Dementia Awareness Day? I, w- I definitely want to be able to help you, help support you in getting the word out on that. So why don't you tell our listeners about Dad? Right. Yeah. This um, that's that's what we like to call it because obviously moms and dads are involved, you know, as well as grandmother and grandfathers and people like that with dementia. I wrote a story uh, back in January called Night Sky of Hope. And um, basically, it was, I was looking out of a window one night, and I saw all the stars that were shining. And for some unknown reason, they shined brighter that night. And, and I thought, how long they've been there? They've been there for millions of years. They've seen so many changes on the earth, but they were still there. And no matter what happens, no matter what happens in the future, the stars will still be there. So I thought, well, if every one of them was a hope, every one of them was someone's hope that one day we'll find a cure, not just for dementia, but for all illnesses, but for dementia in, in particular. So I wrote a story called The Night Sky of Hope, and um, I put it on the internet. A couple of days later, a friend of mine rang me up from Wiltshire, and um, we had a 20-minute conversation, and by the end of the conversation, um, Dementia Awareness Day, or DAD for short as we call it, was born. We put a Facebook page up um, saying, help set a, a UK dementia, an official UK Dementia Awareness Day, um, which has now changed to obviously a world dementia awareness day um, because we had so many responses and I'm so proud to say that within a matter of seven months we've had over 11,000 hits 11,000 wow. pledges um, we have events going on all over the country we have some major companies in, in the UK involved um, we have you wonderful people over there in America involved Australia, New Zealand, Canada it, it's just gone global, and it's been absolutely fantastic, and it's so humbling to think. And I think that because we've had such a big response, it just shows that it really, really was needed, and we need mm-hmm. to we need to have this day. Um, we're having a big day here in Turkey, in my hometown of Bolton. They've hired a town hall, which is the biggest place in, in Bolton City, uh, Bolton Town. And um, they've got the Lord Mayor opening it. We have the Mayor open hours down here in Rotherham, another city in Yorkshire. They've got stalls, they've got um, face painters, they've got kids entertainers. It's it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful day. But the main purpose of the day is to raise awareness. And we're going to have tables and tables full of information. That's the only thing we stipulate. You can have whatever event you like, coffee morning, you can raise whatever funds. And the beauty of it is, Whoever holds the event can donate those funds to whoever they want to donate, mm-hmm. providing that they have a table full of information about dementia and we get the awareness across. So it's a win-win situation for everybody. It's not hard. It's not rocket science that is there. And um, it's mind-boggling how big it's got. 
Well, that is very exciting. I, I just, I am one who just is so aligned with you in terms of a global mission. I, I think that we have to unite around the world if, if we are really going to fight this beast and find a cure that we have to um, collaborate together. And 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 so I, I think it's just so exciting, this Dementia Awareness Day. Now, it's September, is it 17th? September the 17th, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And then how would people, if they want to sign up for it um, and get inform- more information on it, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, the best place for them to go, if they go onto a website called Ask My Community. I have Ask own, My Community? I, I, Ask My Community, yeah. If they go onto okay. the website, uh, and then if, once you're on the website, if you put in Dementia Awareness Day, um, it'll pop up. Um, okay. It'll, it'll tell you all about how it was started and things like that. And then, obviously, um, if they go on a UK Dementia Awareness Day on Facebook, uh-huh. if they click onto that, um, that'll tell you all about it. And in another couple of weeks, I'm going to make a list of all the events that's happening in the UK, and hopefully I can make a list of all the events that's happening um, all over the world. Feeling that anybody can they can email me and I'll be more than happy to tell them how to organize it. Okay, and then if they wanted to contact you on Facebook, they could just put Norms McNamara in the search put, button and can be a friend to you. And, yeah, of course um, they can. If you put Norm Mack in on Facebook, okay. and then I'll say yes, and uh, I'll give more of the information that they need. Okay, so just to clarify, how are you spelling norms on Facebook? Is it with two R's or one? No, it's, it's with one. It's no, with it's one R, okay. Because yeah, everyone, <laughs> everyone always thinks that I misspell it because I put in the two R's, but you say that you that's typically how you spell it, correct? Yeah, yeah I spell it with two R's, but yeah, on Facebook it's just the one for some reason. Okay, okay, well that's... That's fine, just so that people don't get confused there if they try to put in two and can only find one with one. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that we're pushing them in the right direction for you. Um, now, you, you mentioned your friend Barry over in Indonesia. And how did you and Barry hook up then? Because Barry uh, is living with, with Alzheimer's disease as well. Yeah, um, I used um, a website from the Alzheimer's Society called Talking Point. Um, which is a uh-huh. very, it's a very good UK website, and um, the moderators who run it actually work for the Alzheimer's Society, so the, the knowledge is, is just invaluable. Um, and I started to write on there, and I started to write about. Um, I joined them when I was first diagnosed because I needed the advice, and um, mm-hmm. I, I met Barry through that website, and it was actually Barry who suggested that I put all my stories into a book. Wonderful. Wonderful. I haven't seen very much on um, memory people lately, and I know he was sick there for a while. How's he doing these days? Is he is he doing a little better? I hope so. Yes. Yeah, I hope so. And um, obviously, if he's listening to this, I, I wish him all the very, very best. And I know all his friends on Talking Point was asking about him. Um, so if you are listening, Barry, get better soon, my friend, and I hope we talk soon, yeah. Yeah, because I would love to have him on the show as well if, if and when he is he feels up to to uh, sharing because he has such great information on his website as well. 
And um, it just uh, it's amazing the connections you can make on social media, isn't it? I, I'm just been fascinated by the whole by the whole process. Um, what what are the best resources that you have found for people who are dealing with um, dementia? If it's um, you know if you're living with it or if you're a caregiver, are there some sites that you you know have really worked well for you? Yeah, the uh, the Ask My Community site is absolutely brilliant. Uh, Dementia UK is another one, and uh, obviously the Alzheimer's Society is the is the best known one in the UK, and they have different drop down windows which will give you all the information you can. Okay, great. And in um, in America here, you know, we've got um, the Alzheimer's Association. Um, has lots of good information. There's just tons of jazz there. And then, I, you know, I want to put in a plug for Rick Phelps um, Memory People yeah. um, on Facebook because that's just a wonderful place where people who, you know, have Alzheimer's disease or, or memory loss, um, people who are caregivers, both family and professionals, and then people who just want to be advocates or learn more about it, can become part of that group, and all you have to do is be a member on Facebook, and then in the search bar, just put in memory people, and then ask to join, and you'll want to join the main group. There's several subgroups with it, because it's mm-hmm. quite a community, and, um, you know, they've got prayer chains and recipe swaps and kind of a joke place, and <laughs> all kinds of different things. <laughs> Lots of good real-time conversations going on 24 hours a day because there's people from all over the world on this site and so it's, it's quite interesting um memory people memory yeah, people, is, without doubt, memory people um, is without doubt one of the best sites um outside of the uk without any shadow of a doubt um the ones i mentioned was just the uk ones but the one i always click on to when i go on to facebook for any any website outside the uk uh, memory people is always my first stop lawyer. Yeah, well that's great. And I have to put a I have to put a little plug in for my Alzheimer's Speaks website, which is just a resource website. Um, we're going to be changing that format. Um, I'll be rolling out a new site here, hopefully in the in the next month, and I'll let people know about that. But we have all kinds of resources on that site as well. So um, it's just critical for people to be able to connect. Now, another thing that I want to talk about is um, a, kind of a venture that that Norms and I had something to do with together, again, over an innocent conversation on social media, and that's the Memory Cafe. Can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about the Memory Cafe over in the U.K., and then we'll tell them what happens in, with our conversation and how we brought um, it to the U.S.? Yeah, I love to, yeah. Um, the Memory Cafe... Uh, was started here in Turkey because obviously there seemed to be a need for it. And it's just a concept. It's one of those concepts where you think, well, hey, why hasn't anybody thought of this before? And it's just a case of getting a few guys together, um, finding a hall or a venue, and just providing a safe haven and somewhere safe for people to go who have dementia and their carers. Um, We run it as a cafe culture. We have the tables set out. We have the cloths, the flowers, uh, tea, coffee, biscuits. We have entertainment. And um, we have an absolutely wonderful time. We started with about four or five. And now we have over 50 attending. The conversation I had with Rick 
started because he'd never heard of a memory calf. Um, I, with Rick Phelps from Memory People, uh, I got the information, what we had and what we we printed out, and sent it to Rick. And then I believe from there, Rick spoke to you, and um, we got in touch from there, Laurie. I think that's about right. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, you had pointed me to a website um, that I went to, and then I ho- ended up hooking up with David Light, who then sent me a bunch of information um, mm-hmm. and just said, "Here's everything you need to get them set up. You know, go for it." And I, I was just so shocked that there was no feeling of proprietary um, ownership over this. It was just people need these. Get them out there. And so we took that concept then and. You know, I, I approached a few businesses here who all absolutely loved it. So I approached a business called ACR Healthcare Group that owns, a, oh, about 50 different group homes for um, the developmentally disabled and the elderly. They also have a home health care um, agency. And then they have a coffee shop, which was just perfect. And so they were really excited about um, being able to be the host for this model which worked out beautifully, and then the Alzheimer's Research Center here, which is one of the largest brain banks, um, was uh, was also jumping in with both feet. And then we partnered up with Health Partners, has a dementia and Alzheimer's center. And so that worked really well, um, too. So I, we're getting a little static on the line. I'm not sure if it's you or me on this one, but... Um, We'll see how it goes. Are you still there, Norm? Yeah, yeah, I'm still there. I'm just listening to you. You're, you're still there. Okay. Yeah. So are you hearing static on your end? I'm hearing a little static on mine. Yeah, I can hear a little bit, yeah. Okay. Oh, now it went away again. So just never know with these old phone systems. So, yeah, <laughs> we had our first open house, and um, Norms, you were so nice to send us a video, a welcoming video, which we played at the open house, and people just loved listening to you and and uh, what you had to say about the memory cafes. And then we had Dr. Richard Taylor speak, um, and he just did a wonderful job. And Richard is also living with Alzheimer's disease, and so he gave us some great insights. And we're going to have our second open house now next week on the 27th. So if anybody's in Roseville, Minnesota, um, next Wednesday, I think it's next Wednesday night from 6 to 7.30, you're more than welcome to come and um, check us out. Uh, for our, you know, kind of kickoff introduction to the Memory Cafe in the in the U.S. So we're really, we're so thrilled that you guys shared that concept with us, and um, we cannot wait, um, you know, to have members join, uh, both people who are memory impaired and their caregivers or carers, as you say, over there in the U.K. Um, we're, you know, I know with with my family. Um, you know, watching a lot of the friends slip away because people just didn't know how to interact with my mom anymore mm. was just really a sad, sad thing to do. And, um, you know, this sounds like it gives a place where you can have peers, where people are going through like, you know, um, like situations, and there's no no embarrassment. And you get back to just being normal and having fun. Is that kind of what goes on? Yeah, it certainly is, yeah. Um, we... Um, obviously, without mentioning names, um, we have people that come in that um, when they first started coming, they were very quiet and quite withdrawn. And um, within four or five weeks of attending the cafe, those same people were actually was actually up dancing, singing, and one of them was playing the harmonica. 
the change I've seen in these people has been absolutely tremendous. And the smallest changes makes all the difference because I, I, I usually play like a, a meter and greeter on the door. And um, every week those guys take the time and trouble to come through that door. And every week they say hi, norms which means every week they've remembered my name. And I think with this disease, that is such a wonderful achievement within itself. And for some of these guys, it's the only time they get out in the week. And people say, well, you must really enjoy it. Of course, I have a diagnosis and I enjoy it just as much as those. I'm, I'm more of a doer than a sitter. I'm more of a, and I like getting up and, you know, um, getting organising things. Um, but the, these guys that go there, they're... They're my inspiration. The people who, who attend the memory cafe every week, those guys that walk through them doors every Tuesday, they're my, when they say, what inspires you? I say, you do. You guys inspire wow. me. And uh, it's, the atmosphere is wonderful. Well, it's, it just sounds like it's so powerful and it's so empowering. You know, it, it, it gives people purpose and something to look forward to. And, and we all need that in our lives. And so I just I can't wait to be, you know, part of all of this and really get our groups up and running. We've actually had um, three different states had contacted me about getting these set up, and so I've forwarded the information to them. And then we've had a couple other companies who are interested in setting up some memory cafes. One I've got a, a meeting with next week um, to give them more information that's a little bit out of our area. Another one that's fairly close that's interested in um, getting a memory cafe started too, which is fine. And you know, people say, "Well, you know, aren't you aren't you worried? You know that they're gonna, you know, they're gonna, you know, take your people." And it's like, no, <laughs> that's not what this is about. This is about, you know, meeting the needs and um, getting people um, the services and the programs that they need. You know, there's there's plenty of people out there. And you know, it's not a it's not a competition. I, I just don't view it as a competition at all. And it sounds like you guys don't either, with the way they're popping up all no. over the place. David just said we can't we can't pull them together fast enough. That's um, right. And so I, I I think that's fantastic. We also I was really happy. You know, had a couple of people approach on. You know, how could they be part of this? How could they sponsor? And then the UK Rotarians actually emailed me and said, we would like to contact the US Rotarians because um, we would like to see if we can help pitch these programs and, and get them to support uh, support you with these. And I just, I, I've just been amazed with how kind and um, how resourceful, you know, all of you over in the UK have been. And um, it's just very heartwarming because we we don't see that near as much as as we should, and so I, I can't thank you and and all of your countrymen for being so so wonderful. So thank you again for that. Like I said, you are you are changing lives on so many different levels um, around the world. It's just absolutely fantastic. So in you know talking with this memory cafe and kind of friends and stuff can pull back. Did you find that with with you and Elaine? Did you find any friends kind of pulling out of your life, or did, were people really understanding more and accepting? Uh, 
Yeah, well, when I was um, when I was going back to when I was first diagnosed, um, I lost seventy five percent of my friends um, because of the stigma that's attached to it, and I was absolutely desolate. Uh huh. But I must admit that um, since having the John getting the memory card together, and since uh-huh. um, since meeting those people, I have made more friends now, more genuine friends. Um, because people accept me um, for who I am, and uh, they accept me disease or uh, Alzheimer's disease or not. Um, so I, the the, the memory cap has, has so much effect in different ways. Mhm. Um, the people. Well, that... we... Sorry. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, the people that we meet there, uh, we we become good friends with, and um, not only that. We've also become social friends as well outside because we go for coffee with these people now. We we, we go for lunch with them sometimes, and um, they become really really close friends. So it's it's become a community as well outside of the memory camp. So then it does. It's not all about Alzheimer's or dementia. We also enjoy ourselves away from the memory camp and talk about different things as well. It has such a huge impact, and that this is the reason why we do need more of them. We have three in there. Where I live, we have three. And wow. they all work together very, very well, and we all help each other. So and I think that's the way forward, because if this disease doesn't know any boundaries, why should we? You know, I love that statement. I've heard you say that before, and that is just a brilliant statement, um, because it is so true. And, you know, we can't um, kowtow to this disease. You know, and just give in. There's just way too much, um, at, you know, at stake with things. So I think that that is absolutely wonderful. If you can tell us, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us, you know, out of your whole experience so far with this disease, you know, what's been the most difficult thing for you to deal with? Without doubt, the most difficult thing for me to deal with is knowing that there's no cure. And knowing that it's terminal, and my on saying that, Alzheimer's has got one heck of a fight on its hands, um, because when he picked on me, I always say he picked on the wrong person. Um, but on a more serious note, it's knowing that there is no cure and knowing that it's terminal. And because I've lost my father to Alzheimer's and my grandmother, and, and I saw how poorly and how sick they were before they died, um, it's like. I've seen I've seen what the ending could be like. Sometimes people say sometimes people say when you go to the memory cafe, are you not worried? Are you not does it not bother you when you see people in later stages because that's kind of your life being mapped out in front of you? And I say, Well, it does affect me, of course it does. I'm all a human and I do have my dark days and my dark moments. But on the other hand, I'm a full believer that one day a cure will be found and I think it's just around the corner. And you just cannot give up. I mean, how could I, how could I look my grandchildren in the eye, um, you know, and give up? How, what kind of life lesson would it be for my grandchildren if their granddad just suddenly give up and said, "Oh well, let the disease take over. I'm not bothered anymore." Um, they, they'll not learn. No, they'll they'll go through life then thinking, "Oh well, we don't have to fight anything. We'll just get, no. It's not in my nature. It's not in my blood." And uh, they'll see the granddad fighting right to the end. And um, hopefully they'll, they'll inherit that fighting spirit. But it's, it, the future, I suppose, is the worst worrying thing. 
but I, I, I don't try to think too much. I'm sure people with dementia will agree with me on this, but you don't really look too far ahead. And you try to take every day it comes and enjoy every day and enjoy every week as it comes along and enjoy the time you spend with your family. And that usually drives the dirt parts away. Mhm. Wonderful. I I just um like I said it's I know this has got to be a, a rugged road, but you've definitely chosen the high path, and um, you know are making the best of it and improving lives around the world. Now, one of the reasons you know that I I started doing this show, the Alzheimer Speaks Radio Show, was I, I wanted to kind of put a light on um, the purpose and the fulfillment and the, the change in, in things that people are doing who are living with this disease, really giving people living with the disease a voice. And, you know, I can't thank you enough for being on the show because you are doing such great things. And I know not everybody has the personality to step in and do all the stuff that you're doing or um, Rick Phelps is doing or, or Dr. Richard Taylor is doing, but... You know, it can be as little as just being honest about the disease and talking about it with, with friends and family. It, it's just a huge step, even though it might not seem like much to some. Um, it can make a big, big difference. Um, same with caregivers, talking about it honestly, um, you know, to others, because we can't know what it's really like if we're all trying to pretend it doesn't exist um, and that things are still still perfect. So do you have maybe, you know, your top, you know, couple recommendations that you would give to somebody who is living with the disease? What would you recommend for them? Um, first of all, as I said, it always down to the two things it boils down to, and that's awareness and acceptance. And awareness is the main thing. You've got to, as you said quite rightly, you've got to talk about it. You've got to chat about it. It's nothing to be scared of. It's nothing to be frightened of. Um, there was a time when people wouldn't mention cancer. They used to call it the big C, and they were frightened yep. to mention it. Uh, and then came along HIV. That was almost whispered about when that first came out. But because, but because of um, awareness, because of publicity, because of advertisement, because people talked about it, now people talk about it as though it's they talk about it on a day table. Um, that's yeah. the reason that we should do the same with dementia. We should talk about it openly. And the more we talk about it openly, the more awareness will come. And the more awareness comes, the more funding will come. And if, exactly. I, had to give anybody, if I had to give anybody advice, it would be to please, please don't shy away from it. You don't have to go around advertising it. You don't have to go around shouting in the world that you've got Alzheimer's. You just need to tell people if they ask. Just say to say, I've got Alzheimer's. I have a favorite saying, I have, I have Alzheimer's. I'm not stupid. And I think people have got to say things like that. I, I agree. I agree very much. How about for caregivers? Any words of wisdom for caregivers that you want to share? Yeah, um, I um, well, I could say listen, but obviously caregivers do listen. But sometimes, even if the person with dementia can't speak, there is always other ways of um, communicating with them, um, just through by touch or by actually sit there with them. Sometimes the caregiver might sit there and think, oh, well, she's not said anything, or he's not said anything for half an hour. Um, I might as well just go away. But 
you don't know what's going on in that, in, that, in that guy or that girl's mind. And they might absolutely adore just the company of you being sat there. So just because sometimes people don't say much to the caregivers doesn't mean to say that we're not listening. It doesn't mean to say that we don't care. It doesn't mean to say that we're not there anymore because we are. There's still that person inside and we still like to be spoken to, <clears throat> not spoken down to, and um, or spoken about. We like to be spoken to and just treated like any other normal guys. I can give you a perfect example. When my wife was working, um, she went to started work as a care worker at a certain place. And the lady there, they used to give her hot chocolate every night. And every night, she used to throw the hot chocolate at the care staff. And it wasn't until my wife actually turned up one day and said, has anybody actually asked her, does she like hot chocolate? Or asked her family? Anyway, the following night, um, the family came and Elaine asked the family, said, um, does she actually like hot chocolate? And they said, no, she's never liked it. They give her hot milk, they give her hot milk after that, Larry. Every night she was as good as gold and every night she sat there and loved every minute of it purely because nobody had asked the question. And that's the main yeah, thing. It, that's very important, and it's so um, it's so simple, but it is uh, not oh, done. People just make assumptions, and they don't look at why someone reacts the way they do. You know, they they categorize it and call it a behavior. Well, we all have behaviors because <laughs> that's what our reactions <laughs> are. It's a type type of behavior. You know, my mom, even in her end stages. Um, has has done some miraculous communication with me where she, you know, won't talk at all. Around Thanksgiving, for example, she all of a sudden started having tremors. And mom's mm-hmm. in her end stages and she really, you know, she can't do anything for herself anymore. And the nurse said, you know, this this might be the beginning of the end. And, you know, this has been a long long journey for her of 30 years. In the last three years, she's actually been in her end stages. Yeah. And so we went over there, you know, that night and the next morning I, I went back um, to redo paperwork and get everything in place. And I, I sat on the bed with the nurse and we went through all the do not resuscitate paperwork and updated it because mom had been there 10 years, you know, so quite a while. Yeah. So we were just updating everything, making sure everything was in order in case this was the deal. And my mom was sitting in her wheelchair, you know, next to us, just sleeping. And the nurse left the room when we were done, and I grabbed my mom's hand, and Mm -hmm. I said, now, Mom, did I do that right? And out of a dead sleep, she turned her head and looked at me, and she said, yep. And then she went back. (laughs) Because she knew that I needed to hear that. And she was taking everything in the whole time. Um, but it's absolutely amazing. The other day I was over there and uh, my daughter and I went to go visit my mom. And again, she's in her end stages and, and my daughter got there before I did and she said, oh, Grandma's crying, I don't know what's wrong. And every time I tell her I love her, she just she just starts howling. And she says, it's just so painful, Mom. I don't know, I don't know what's wrong. She's really upset. And I kind of had an idea, but I waited till my daughter left. And after Danielle left, I asked, um, or, or my daughter said, and who's May anyways? Grandma keeps talking to May. And I said, well, May was, was Grandpa's mom. And May's been, you know, gone many, many, many years. And um, 
And so after Danielle left, I asked my mom a couple of simple questions. And again, she typically doesn't communicate and can't give you a direct answer. Mm. But she did on these questions. And I said, so you've been talking to me, have you? And she smiled (laughs) and she said yes. And then I said, is May telling you it's time? And she looked at me and she started crying. And I said, are you afraid? Are you afraid of dying? And then she looked at me square in the eye and she said, no. (laughs) She was really angry. And I said, okay. I said, are you afraid to leave us? And then she just started weeping again. Yeah. And so we had a whole conversation on death and dying and but it was just it was it was so genuine and she she knows so much and she is connected and there's just times she can really still connect that are just absolutely amazing and on track and then other times where she's just tired and you know it's just I'm not worth her time. <laughs> And so it's it's looking for the little things, the glint in the eye, the smiles. It's creating the joy. It's going in with a good positive attitude and um, enjoying the moment, whatever the moment brings, you know. And so I I think that whole um, being respectful of the person and understanding that they do get what's going on and they – they do understand, um, you know, everything around them, just like a coma victim, even though they might not be able to communicate at certain times. Mm. Uh, you know, it's 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 just been it's been a gift to me in a in a really strange way. This disease that my mom has had for thirty years, it has just taught me to live my life and appreciate things on such a such a different different level. And so, um, again, I can't thank you enough for all the awareness you are bringing, and I'm looking forward to being part of the Dementia Awareness Day, September 17th, and I hope a lot of our listeners will join you as well. Now, you're over, what, 11,000 people that are following this whole thing, which is pretty exciting around the world. And again, people can get in touch with you. Um, In which, which ways would you prefer people to to contact you if they have some questions. Yeah, Facebook's the easiest way. Just just go on to Norm Mike on Facebook. Okay. Ask me to befriend me and I will message you and then um, I'll let you have my email. Okay, so Norm and that's N-O-R-M and then yeah. Mac, M-A-C on that's Facebook right. and Google. Yeah. And that'll be the easiest, and you will be connected with um, all the wonderful things he's doing because you're you're just kind of a little social media guru out there. You really know how to work the system and get your get your message spread. So, again, Norms, I cannot thank you enough for taking time to to be with us on the show. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover before I go into kind of a wrap up here? Um, yeah, just well, just two things really. One, because you touched on assumption um, with the caregivers when 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 the addressing we call them clients here, but when addressing the patients are, it's amazing how many people don't actually say what would you like to wear. Um, you'll see people sat down there sometimes with a, a shirt and jumper on, and we'll say to the caregivers because we only learn do training, 
And um, we'll say, well, did you, did you ask him what shirt he wanted? No. Did you ask him what pair of trousers he liked on? No. Well, why not? You might have put his worst shirt on, and you might have put his, um, his, his, a pair of trousers on that he really doesn't like. And uh, well, he, he's not going to feel good all day. So even though sometimes you might not get an answer, um, it's always polite and it's always respectful to ask, what would they like to wear? What would they like to eat? What would they like to do today? And just to ask the normal questions as they would be normally. Um, secondly, I have a request for you, Laurie. Sure. Um, all the guys at the memory cafe at Babacan Road in Torquay want to say, hello, a massive thank you and well done for what you're doing. And everybody in the cafe is so proud of you. And they would, like, they would like to personally say hello. Um, so would it be possible when you get your memory cafe up and running and people, what, could you possibly make a video? Oh, we would love to. We would love to do that. We will do the same. Yep. Wonderful. Oh, that that'll be that'll be cool. Yeah, we would love to do that. So I was asked. Um, I was asked yesterday yeah, at uh, the menu cafe, said, and um, I told them I was on the radio tonight, and they all said, well, "Wouldn't it be really, really great?" It would, because they were so proud, and they got you got such an applause, Laurie. They lifted the roof, and um, oh. they're, so, they're so proud of the connection between us. And they said, well, if they do a video, then we'll do a video so we can actually say hi to each other. Oh, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. Good. So, yeah, that'll be that'll be great. We will definitely do that. We will definitely do that. Because one of the things I'd like to do with, with our um, website, J. Arthur's Memory Cafe, if anyone's interested to find more information about us in the U.S., is to be able to track where these are popping up and be able to have the locations, you know, for people to be able to see um, as more are developed. Because, again, mm. people need to know where these resources are, and it's, um, you know, we're not alone. None of us are alone. And I, I think that's one of the the neatest things about um, the Memory Cafe, you know, about memory people and all the different magnificent things that are happening is people are finding they're not alone. Um, and there's lots of people who understand. There's lots of good resources out there. And um, so thank you. Yeah, we will definitely make a video, that's for sure. That will be wonderful. Um, thank you so much for having me on this radio show. Um, thank you so much for being such a good friend, Laurie. I really appreciate it. And I know the guys oh. at the cafe do as well. Well, back at you. All you guys over there at the UK are wonderful. And one of these days I'm going to be flying over there. I'm telling you, I'm coming. <laughs> I don't know when, but... It's the, cackle's on, the cackle's on the cream cheese waiting. Great, great. Well, listen, I am going to go ahead and wrap up the show here. And I just want to, again, thank you so much, Norms, for all you're doing and taking taking the time to be on the show and helping me with the Memory Cafe um, and just all that you're doing, because you're just you're just uh, you're a guiding light there. And so I hope you know how many hearts you have touched and how many minds you have changed um, with the work that that you're providing. And also the work so, that you do well at Alzheimer's Speaks, you're doing a wonderful job. And I have I have passed your details on to so many people because I know what such a good job that you're doing on Alzheimer's Speaks. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'd like to ask all of our listeners to help us spread the word about our show here, Alzheimer's Speaks. And they can do that by just going to the home page, and you can tweet on it, you can like us on Facebook, you can share it. Um, but again, as Norms and I have been talking you know, for this past hour, it is about awareness, and we need your help to do that. Our next show coming up is actually going to be tomorrow at 3 p.m. Central Time, and that's with David Simpson. And David Simpson is the son of Lolo. We had um, Lolo's... Um, producer on because that was a documentary about so a few weeks ago and um, so David will be there to talk about the documentary itself and then on the 24th we are going to have um, Cheryl Kearney with us who is also a member of Memory People and she's living with Alzheimer's and Cheryl's going to tell us about her story and then on the 29th at 7 p.m. we'll have Sherry Fisher and Tom O'Neill on who are both caregivers, and so they're going to talk about shifting caregiving from crisis to comfort. And then we are going to have a couple of, of attorneys on August 3rd, Jerry Cummings um, out in California and Mary Frances Price from Minnesota to talk about estate planning. And then on the 4th, we have Joel Skillion, who is an author, and he wrote Confessions of a Caregiver, when Alzheimer's comes to your home. So we have lots of um, fun shows coming online here, and I would love for you to um, be part of us. And remember, if you're memory impaired and you're interested in sharing your story with the world, please uh, shoot me an email. We'd love to talk with you, and maybe you can be our next guest. I hope and um, pray that each of you will decide to become what I call an advocate on steroids for this disease and join us in raising awareness. And please don't forget to focus on the three simple things that your memory chip teaches you. Are they safe? Are they happy? And are they pain-free? When you can get to the point of really focusing on those things and moving your ego out of the way as a caregiver, you will have such a burden lifted, and you will create so much joy um, in your life and theirs. So with that, we'll go ahead and close with JP's music. Have a great day. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. 
To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.